Today, I want to jump right into the message by giving you a verse that is probably familiar to a lot of you. It's, it's one of those scripture memorization verses, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Anybody besides me thankful for redemption today? Amen. I, I, just, I so appreciate these testimonies that these ladies have brought. I got to be honest with you, having them here today inspired the, the direction that I wanted to, to take in this message, or maybe the direction I wanted to take inspired us to want to have them here. I don't remember what the order was, but, but I had them in mind when I thought about the life change that God can do in a person's life. And I want to speak towards that end today. And I want to say this. The moment that you surrender everything to Jesus, it all changes. It all changes, whether, whether that was 20 years ago for you or, or last Sunday. When you surrender everything to Jesus, it all changes. That's what that verse we just read communicates. I, I was thinking this week about a familiar story in Luke 15. Many of you know the story. It's the, the story of the prodigal son. Even if you don't know that story, you're probably familiar with the idea of a prodigal son because it's, it's become uh, even a familiar phrase in culture. The prodigal son is the one that, that runs off and, you know, sows their wild oats and, and, and he spends all of his inheritance from his father on, on uh, just worldly pleasures and then he, he comes to the end of himself and, and the prodigal returns. But before he returns, if you know that story, in Luke chapter 15, before the prodigal comes home, he has a conversation with himself. Maybe you can relate. Kind of a come to your senses moment. And, and here's the conversation he had. He said, it says, when he came to his senses, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Have you ever done that before when you had like your approaching conflict resolution? You, you got to go and apologize for something you said or something you did. And so you start having the conversation in your mind. You start rehearsing it over and over. That's what this young man does. But the Bible says when, when he, he gets just, just over the horizon to where he can see his father's house, the Bible Bible says when he's still a long ways off, the father jumps up off the front porch and runs out to him and meets his son and he embraces him. Immediately, the Bible says he put a ring on his finger, symbolizing his authority. He put a robe on his back. He put new shoes on his feet and they slaughtered the fattened calf and they threw a party. He never got to give the speech. He never got to tell him, oh, I don't deserve to be your son. It was just immediate embrace and restoration towards sonship. And can I just tell you, that's what happens the moment you give your life to Jesus. Amen. That's it. You don't, you don't have to serve penance. You don't have to grovel at his feet. You don't, well, one day maybe I'll be worthy. No, no, no. When you turn to the Father, you receive his embrace. So Jesus told that parable. In fact, he told three parables. He talked about the lost son. He talked about the lost coin. He talked about the lost sheep. And every time what was lost was found, there was rejoicing in the house. There was a celebration. But do you remember why Jesus told those three stories? Because a lot of us were so familiar with the stories, but we forget the context. 
So I'm not going to read all three stories to you, but I want to give you the context. In Luke chapter 15, the first verse says this. Now, there were tax collectors. That, that's swindlers, people who stole from others. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered to themselves, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 3 says, then Jesus told them this parable. In other words, they were offended, they were upset because Jesus was accepting people that didn't have their lives all together yet. People that still had issues, they were offended by that. So Jesus launches into this three-point sermon about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son to communicate the fact that, that when you turn to God, God turns to you. Full acceptance, full embrace. Jesus described it to a religious leader like this in John chapter 3, verse 16. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever, would somebody just say whoever? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Look at the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, that is through Jesus. Verse 18, whoever, there it is again, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. He's saying clearly, if you have put your faith in Jesus as God's one and only son, you are not condemned. Paul said it like this in Acts 16. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Sometimes we just need to be reminded it really is that simple. It really is that simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But here's where we get it twisted sometimes. We think about that statement in the context of, of our vernacular in our English language. And can I just say to you today that the word believe in, in the American culture does not mean necessarily the same thing that it meant every time it was written in a biblical culture. The word believe in America can mean I just agree that it's true. I believe it, but I'm unaffected by what I believe. But in the Bible, the word believe always means to trust. To, to believe, belief was always a verb. It was always an action. It was to put the full weight of your confidence. It's like this. Imagine you're walking through the woods and you come to a, a vast cavern and, and spanned across the cavern is a footbridge. And you see that bridge. And, and, and when you see the bridge, you think, I, well, I mean, this, this is here. It's gonna hold me, right? How many of you already, you're like, I don't like this story. I'm backing away from the edge. Just go with me, chicken. All right, here we go. So you get to the edge, and you think, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that this will hold me. I, I believe this bridge will hold me. But as you're contemplating it, after a while, you see some other hikers. They pass you, and, and they cross the bridge, no problem. And so now you're standing on the edge, and you know, 
I know that bridge can hold my weight. I, I know people that walked across that bridge. I know people who have gotten safely to the other side. I believe it'll hold. But how many of you know you haven't really believed it yet? When do you actually believe the bridge can hold you? Yeah, it's the moment that you put your life on the bridge. Can I tell you, friends, Jesus is the bridge. He's the bridge of our hope. He's the bridge of our salvation. And there's a lot of people that say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but you haven't stepped off the ledge. You haven't put your faith in him yet. And I want to encourage you, if that's you and you're just kind of observing or intellectually aligning with a theology of the church, to put your full weight of confidence in Jesus. And if you've done that before, let me encourage you to take the next step. If you've never been baptized in water, the Bible says that the way that we profess our faith in Jesus is through water baptism. Not filling out a connect card not raising a hand, not coming to the altar. Altar calls are only like 250 years old in church history. But Jesus baptized people in water and commanded them to do so. So let me just encourage you, if you've never been water baptized, and I don't mean somebody sprinkled water on your head when you were a newborn, because there's no security in uh, infant baptism. Baptism is a profession of a personal faith in Jesus. If you've never made that profession of faith, as a believer, as one who put your trust in Jesus, can I encourage you to be a part of water baptism? We have a water baptism service happening on New Life Sunday, May 7th. It's coming up in a few weeks. In fact, just this week, we started meeting with people and recording their testimony videos, and you're gonna see those at that baptism service. It's gonna be a powerful time. We call that our first obedience. Not because it's always the first thing you do, but it's the first thing he tells you to do. And so even if you've been saved for 15 years, if you've never declared that through water baptism, you ought to, and I don't say this often, but you ought to get your phone out in church right now. Go to rightsfieldchurch.com slash baptism and sign up and be a part of that. He invites us to make a profession of our faith. Now, let me just pause right here and say everything that I've said so far in this message it would have made more sense to call this sermon became or become because it's something that happens in a moment when you give your life to Christ, it's, it's a finished work. But I called this message becoming because I want you to understand a distinction between what has happened and what's still happening. If you have your Bible, I wanna invite you to just go with me to Colossians chapter one for a moment. Paul talks about the finished work of redemption beginning in verse 13 of Colossians chapter one. And here's what he says about the miracle of salvation. He says, for he has rescued, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what happens the moment you give your life to Jesus. You are translated out of darkness and into light. I've often repeated the phrase that, that Jesus didn't die on the cross to make bad people good or make good people better. He came to bring life where there was death. That's the transformation that we 
get to be a part of. He said, he brought you out of the kingdom of darkness. You're translated into the kingdom of light. Skip down a little bit to verse 21. Paul says, once you were aliens to God, alienated, alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Did you know that's how he sees you this morning? Because of the sacrificial, physical death of Jesus on the cross, we are presented as holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That means it's, it's a finished work. It's done. It's complete. Next verse. If you continue in your faith. Hold up. We better pay a little closer attention here because that, that sounds like a condition. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. What is he talking about? Paul is talking about attention that has been described as the already but not yet. That's where we're living today. We're living in the already but not yet. It's the fact that when I gave my life to Jesus, I became a son of God. I became a joint heir with Jesus. The Bible says that we are seated right now, positionally, we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. We became that when we gave our lives to Christ, but we're also becoming. In other words, I, I, can, I, I can worship the Lord and, and sing his praises and, and love the Lord, and I can be singing Graves in the Garden while I'm driving down Route 30, but then somebody cuts me off and, and I want to cuss at him. Right? Don't look at me like that. I said want to. I didn't. You been there? You seen somebody that's just driving like a fool, and you're like, what is wrong with that person? And then they get out in front of you, they got a Jesus fish on their bumper sticker, and you're like, come on, man. Just pray for them. They're becoming. They're not there yet. Anybody still becoming besides me? Anybody like, okay, I'm not who I used to be, thank God, right? Not who I used to be, but I'm on a journey. I'm becoming who God called me to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It's a process. Positionally, I'm seated with Christ. Practically, I, I still struggle a little bit. I, I still wrestle with, with the flesh. I, I'm still working out my salvation. It's, it's this reality that I am, I am saved. Fully, completely, I'm saved. I know it like I know my name. If I were to die today, I would be in the presence of the Lord today. But I also know this to be true. I'm being saved. I'm being saved. Being renewed day by day. Being uh, not conformed to the patterns of this world, but being transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. I'm not there yet, but I'm 
I'm being saved. I also know this to be true. One day, fully and finally, I will be saved. So I'm saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. That's the process for every follower of Christ. Here's what the word says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John the beloved said, dear friends, now we are the children of God. That's current status update. Now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. So I know what I am, but I don't know yet what I will be. I'm becoming. And can I encourage you today, if you find yourself like the rest of us in that place, there's some things we need to do to just lean into the work. And and practically, I just want to tell you today, let the word of God do its work in your life. I, I wish I had about 30 more minutes to preach about this. Let the word of God do its work in your life. The word is powerful. The Bible says in Hebrews that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God, when you open the word and you work the word, it, it works. It penetrates, the Bible says, to the very separating of, of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. When you open up the word of God and look into it, it looks into you. The word is powerful. There was a a study done by Barna Research recently about the impact of the word of God on churchgoers in America. Amazing stats. It said if you just read the Bible 10 minutes a day at least four times a week, you are 228% more likely to share your faith. Just think about that. We would have full-on revival if Christians just read their Bible. For 10 minutes a day, at least four times a week, you're a 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. Think about the implications of that. David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. You're 407% more likely to have the word of God hidden in your heart And on your lips, if you just read the word, 59% less likely to view pornography. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Now, before you dare think for even a moment, like, well, you know, 40 minutes, that's, that's a long time. You know, 10 minutes a day, four times a week. Before you even allow yourself to go down that thought process, let me just give you another stat. The average person in America spends two hours and 31 minutes a day on social media. Like just a little perspective there. Come on, you all admitted you're not who you're supposed to be, so don't get offended now. I'm just telling the truth. Just to give some context for our students, students in America, total screen time per day averages eight hours and 39 minutes. So running the numbers based on the global lifespan average of 73.4 years, assuming that most people start some form of social media at 10 years old, that means that you can plan on spending six years and four months of your life on social media. And I just wonder how much of that scrolling has actually decreased your anxiety, helped you to combat loneliness. I wonder how many times scrolling through social media has inspired us to tell more people about Jesus. 
or memorize more of his word, or I wonder how many times late night scrolling has, has actually encouraged us away from a pornography addiction. I'm not talking about just a spiritual reality. I mean practically. The word of God has the power to change and shape your life just by getting in the word daily. I, I just read a story recently in David Platt's latest book. He tells the story of a friend of his who is an evangelist down in South America. The guy's name's Fernando. And Fernando was walking the streets of uh, South America and, and he meets a guy named Nicholas. And so he, he tries to share his faith with him. And he's got a little pocket New Testament and, and he, he's just kind of thumbing through it and he's talking to Nicholas and, and Nicholas is not paying attention at all. But he's really curious about the book. And finally he interrupts and he says, hey, that book you've got there looks like great paper for smoking. <laughs> and Fernando's like, what? Like, come again? He said, the, the book you have, I, I want a copy. That is prime paper for rolling cigarettes. So Fernando like, thinks about it for a second and he says, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll make a deal. I'll give you my book if you promise before you tear a page out and roll it into a cigarette, you read that page. The guy said, that's prime paper. I'll take that deal. And he said, now you got, you got to promise. Like, you, you got to read the page before you tear it out. Will you give me your word? Nicholas said, I'll give you my word. I'll do it. So he gives him his New Testament, and he, and he goes on his way. A couple weeks go by. Fernando's walking down the same street. He sees Nicholas again. The guy comes over to him. He says, hey, I got to know. Did you keep your word? Did you, did you read a page before you tore it out and smoked the page? And he said, I did. I did. I, I smoked all the way through Matthew. <laughs> like, then, then I smoked Mark and Luke. And, and then I started smoking John. And I got to the third chapter and I read that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die. And if anybody believes in him, they can be saved. And so that's what I did. I gave my life to Jesus. Amen. And Fernando, he just, now he's, he's smiling and he's laughing and he hugs Nicholas and he embraces him. And they begin to have a relationship. And as of latest report, Nicholas is now a pastor on the same street that he smoked his way through the Gospels. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like, that's the Word of God. Like, that's the, the power of the Word of God to just work in your life. Let me encourage you with one more thing, and then we're gonna close. Don't just let the Word work in your life. Let the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, work in your life because there's a lot of people that they're willing to to read the bible they're intellectuals academics scholarly they'll do the research they'll put in the time but, but listen to what the word of god says about our understanding first corinthians 2 14 says the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of god but considers them foolishness and they cannot understand them because they are only discerned through the spirit 
this verse explains to me why some people have struggled to read the Bible and understand it. Now, not everybody falls in this category, but there are plenty of people that said, yeah, I, I tried that. I read the Bible. It just didn't make sense to me. And I think maybe the reason is because they've never actually received the Spirit of God in their life. They never fully surrendered everything to Jesus. Maybe they're not even saved. It, it's not that they don't believe According to our, our American definition of belief, they, they've, they've looked at the bridge. They're convinced about the bridge. They're, they're certain that that's the way to get to the other side and that that, that that would work. And they're willing to learn about it and attend gatherings like this, but they've never, they've never trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He said, when... When we receive Christ as Lord, it's his spirit that comes to live on the inside of us. And his spirit begins to teach us the truth. That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He said the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the one my father is sending to you in my name, he's going to teach you all things. In fact, there was a group of religious people that Jesus was talking to and they studied the word. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you'll have eternal life these are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life we need the holy spirit to do a work on the inside of us so that we can become everything that god has called us to be i just want to ask a couple of questions as we get ready to end this service First question is this. I wonder who in this place could say with me, I know. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know today I'm saved. Come on, if that's you, would you raise your hand with me? Amen. Amen. All right, you put your hands back down. How many of you would be vulnerable enough to say, I know I'm saved, but I'm not fully sanctified. I know, I know I'm saved, but I'm still being saved. Every, I'm still in the grind. I'm still in the battle. I, I still wrestle with the flesh. Yes, I'm saved, but every day His grace is sufficient. And we're going to pray in just a moment, but before we do, I want to ask one more question. I wonder if there's anyone here today that you would say, I'm, I'm not saved. Or I, I don't know if I'm saved. Maybe intellectually you agree with what we're talking about and that's what compelled you to come. But you don't know if you've ever actually trusted Jesus with your life. You've never stepped out onto the bridge of faith. If that's you today and you say, I want to do that. I want to be saved. Would you raise your hand? Because we're going to pray for you right now. Amen. Anyone else? You just say, that's me. I, wanna, I want to be saved. I want to know that I know that I know. That Jesus lives in my heart. Anyone else? Then can we stand together? We're going to just make an altar out of this sanctuary. In these closing moments, most of the hands went up. Acknowledge that you have a relationship with Jesus. And if you were honest, all those same hands went up and said, He's still working on me. He's still working on me. So we're going to pray right now. And here's my heart's desire today. For me, as the pastor, and for the person that 
just raised their hand and said, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, all of us included, we are becoming. I'm so thankful for these ladies and the, the vulnerability to share their story, to go from church to church. While, while they're in this program, they're away from their family, they're away from their loved ones. That's a process. That's hard. But I'm so grateful that they stepped up here and led the way today to say, we love Jesus and Jesus loves us, but we're, we're, we're on a journey. And my prayer is that every person here today, every person watching this service online would take one more step to becoming the person that Jesus called you to be. And one more step away from your old self. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your presence. Thank you that, Lord, you are here to receive our worship, to receive the honor that is due your name. God, we rejoice in the God of our salvation today. But, Lord, we also declare we are still desperate for you. We need you, God. We need you to work through your word in our lives. We need you to work by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray today that we would sense the, the conviction and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in us to take one more step towards the destiny that you have for us. God, to take one more step away from that old, carnal, sinful nature that keeps rearing its ugly head in our lives. To take one more step in the direction of obedience to your word and one more step away from the vices of yesterday. God, we thank you today for freedom in Christ Jesus. And I pray that today would be a, a, a moment, Lord, where we, where we begin to just catch our spiritual stride, that we step out in faith and in obedience and begin to just move Move in the direction that you're calling us to, towards our purpose and away from our past. Thank you, Jesus, for resurrection life on the inside of us and for the spirit that guides us. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Come on, if you're thankful for the work he's doing, give him praise today. Come on. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your work in us. Thank you that you're strengthening your church. Hallelujah. And all God's people said amen. Listen, our mission statement as a church is this. Leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That, that begins with salvation. But that doesn't end until we see Jesus face to face. That, that mission still applies to my life. This church is helping to lead me to where Jesus wants me to be. That's what we want the church to be for you. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due time, the word says, you will reap a harvest if you faint not. Take another step in Jesus' name and in his power. Amen? Amen. Listen, as you head out today.